Heavenly Father, we ask that you would turn our eyes this morning from worthless things, so many things to distract us in this world. Help us to turn our eyes to what is worthful, that is worth, has great value towards yourself. Lord, we pray that you would preserve our lives as we consider your word even now. Lord, we pray that we would have that protection that we so desperately need from all the things that would oppose us. We pray that as we look at your word, we may rejoice and know that our lives are preserved by your loving hand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if someone asked you to prove that Jesus is God from the scriptures, where would you turn? Where would you turn in the Bible to prove Christ's divinity, that he is God himself? Maybe you'd turn to certain passages, particular passages that proclaim that truth. Maybe you'd turn to John 1.1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That the Word, being Jesus Christ, was God. Or maybe later on in John's Gospel, John chapter 10, verse 30, where Jesus says, I and the Father, God the Father, are one. If Jesus is one with the Father, then he is making a divine claim. Where else might you turn? Been studying the Bible for years? Where might you turn in the Bible to prove Christ's divinity? Maybe you turn to another passage like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Is that a place that you would turn to? If someone was asking, prove to me from the Bible that the Bible actually says that Jesus is God, would you turn to Hebrews 1? Maybe you turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Well, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 1 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Jesus. All God's fullness was to dwell in Jesus. Or in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Jesus' body, all the fullness of the deity lives. Would you turn to Colossians 1, Colossians 2, to prove the divinity of Jesus Christ? Or maybe you wouldn't turn to a particular passage that speaks clearly of Christ's divinity. Maybe you'd point to the attributes of God clearly displayed in Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd look at the life of Jesus and say, you can see that Jesus is God by the things that he does. Maybe you would say, clearly Jesus has omnipotence. He has all power. As you look at the miracles that he does, no one has ever done the miracles that Jesus has done. Or maybe you'd say, look at God's omniscience is shown in Jesus Christ, all-knowing, that Jesus knows all things, and you can see it in the way that he interacts with people. You can see that he has teaching with authority. You can see that he even knows the thoughts of men. Who has been able to do that before? That is something that is a divine ability, to perceive the thoughts of men. And so as you look at Jesus Christ, you can see that he is God by the way that he knows all things. Or maybe it would be his omnipresence, that Jesus actually says, I am with you to the very end of the age. Even as he ascends up into the clouds, right before that, he says, I will remain with you. Jesus lives in his people. There's only an and that is an attribute of God, only of God, to be omnipresent, all-present. Maybe you point to Christ's holiness, his sinlessness, 
That's an attribute of God. God is holy, holy, holy. And as you look at Jesus, you see his divinity shining through in the way that no one could convict him of sin. Or maybe it's his ability to forgive sins. The way that he can say to people, your sins are forgiven. Who can do that but God alone? And so you'd point to that and say, clearly Jesus is God by the way that he actually forgives sins. Or maybe it's his immortality. As you consider, how can I prove that Jesus is God? You'd say, look, the way that even death could not keep him in the grave. He laid down his life, but then he also had authority to take it up again. How does someone bring about their own resurrection when they're dead? Unless they are God. His body died, but his divinity did not die at the cross. He can show his immortality by his resurrection from the dead. Or maybe you'd point to the way that people interact with Jesus and particularly the way that people worship Jesus. Is that a way you'd prove Christ's divinity? You'd say, look, people worship him. And Jesus doesn't tell them, get up, off the ground, I'm only a man. No, he accepts worship from humanity. Doesn't that point to his divinity? Or would you point to Christ's titles? The way that the word Lord is used in reference to him. The way that the title Son of God and Son of Man is used in reference to Jesus. Would you point to those as proofs of his divinity? Or would you point to John chapter 8, verses 48 through to 59? This passage that is before us tonight, uh, this morning. I'm getting carried away with myself already today. It is this morning. And we're looking at John chapter 8, verse 48 through to 59. Is this a passage that you would turn to to prove Christ's divinity? Because as you look at it at first, it doesn't seem to be making any sort of grand claim about Jesus' divinity. Jesus has been in discussion with the Jews about a number of different things. He's spoken about the fact that he is the light of the world. The Jews have opposed that. They've said you can't testify in that regard. You can't testify on your own behalf. And then we've gone through and looked at the way that Jesus has pointed out uh, who the father of the Jews actually is. By the way that they're living, they're showing that they're not children of Abraham. They're not children of God. In fact, they're children of Satan, which is what we looked at last week. And here the Jews have responded with maybe an insult towards Jesus as he has continued to interact with them. Jesus has told them that they are children of Satan. And so what does what do the Jews say in verse 48 of the passage that we're looking at today? John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? They start to call him names. Now, why would they use the name Samaritan and demon-possessed? The fact that you have a demon. Well, it may be because Samaritans are people who didn't like the Jews' claim to be from Abraham, and Jesus is denying their claim to be descendants from Abraham. He's saying you're children of Satan, not Abraham's children. And so maybe that's why they call him a Samaritan. And maybe the reason they call him demon-possessed is because he's making grand claims about himself, and that's what demon-possessed people like to do. They have delusions of grandeur, and maybe because of the power that he has. The religious leaders often acknowledge that Jesus has great power. They just don't like that he has great power. And they attribute it to Satan. And so maybe they can say, you're demon-possessed, and that's clearly shown by the way that you have power. 
Or maybe these are just the worst insults they could actually think of. They don't like the Samaritans, and so if anyone they come across their path, they get racist with them and call them a Samaritan, even if it's uncertain whether they really are a Samaritan or not. It is clear that they can be just insulting by using the name Samaritan, as we see in the scriptures that Samaritans were most hated by the Jews. Or in demon-possessed, it's equivalent of calling someone crazy. You're insane. And so it's just an insult that they're flinging at Jesus. And so how does Jesus respond to their insults that they're throwing at him? Well, he firstly, in verse 49, denies that he has a demon. Verse 49, he says, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. But then he goes on to give a grand claim about death in verse 51. What does he say? I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He denies that he has a demon and then he goes on to say, if you keep my word, you will never see death. And the Jews pick up on this and see that he's making another grand claim and they go to town on him. Verse 52, they say, uh, verse 52, it says, At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? You're making this grand claim that people will not see death if they keep your word. But let's go back in history, Jesus. Abraham was a great man. Even you've affirmed that. What happened to him? He died. And the other prophets, they all died. Are you really claiming to be greater than them? Greater than the prophets? Greater than Abraham? Because you think you have power over death? That you can tell people that they will not see death if they simply keep your word? The Jews think they've got him on this one. There's no way he can get around it. He's just made a claim that is greater than Abraham. What does Jesus reply with? Verse 54. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you did not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. And then what did he say? Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They brought Abraham back into the discussion. Jesus says, yes, Abraham actually saw my day and was glad. The Jews, of course, pick up on this and say, this can't be right. Verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? You claim to have seen Abraham. Abraham was 2,000 years earlier. And now you claim that you've seen him and you're clearly not even 50. Demon-possessed. That's what you are by making such a claim. What does Jesus say? Verse 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. This is Jesus' response. As they say, how can you have seen Abraham? How can you do that when you are not even 50 years old? And Abraham was 2,000 years ago. Jesus responds with, before Abraham was born, I am. What does Jesus mean here by saying, 
I am. If he simply wanted to claim that he was alive when Abraham was alive, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. I was there at the time. And so I'm at least 2,000 years old, as you have suspected that I'm claiming. He could have said, I was. But instead, he's put something forward that is very difficult to understand. It's almost like a riddle. Because what is he saying here? He's saying that before something past happened, something present happened, which doesn't compute. The present never precedes the past. Otherwise, it would be the past. So I am can't be before something that is past. You can't be present in the past and be present in the future. If you're, present in the, if you're presently now here, that can't take place before something in the past. It makes no sense. Before Abraham was born, I am? What is he saying? What is Jesus doing here? He's making a divine claim. This is where the passage turns to his divinity. As I said before, there's many parts of the Bible that you could look at to prove Christ's divinity. And it includes this one. Why? Because Jesus here is taking the proper name for God and applying it to himself. What is God's name? We saw it earlier in the reading from Exodus chapter 3. Moses asks God at the burning bush, what name will I give to the Israelites for yourself? What name? And what does God reply? I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am sent you. I am, that is my name. And so when Jesus says to the Jews here, before Abraham was born, I am, he is saying, before Abraham was born, I am God. I am God. God was present before Abraham was born. God was present before Adam was born. Before Adam was created by God. Jesus existed because he is God. He has always existed. Now, how do we know that's a right interpretation of this? Well, one way is by looking at Exodus 3 and comparing it, and you see it and it makes sense then, but also by looking at the response of the Jews in verse 59. What do the Jews do in verse 59? Look with me now. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The Jews knew what God's name is. They knew what Jesus was claiming here, that when he said, I am, he was claiming, claiming to be God. And they stopped with the insults, throwing insults at him, and started to throw other things. Started to pick up stones and stone Jesus. And so they show by their actions, they know what Jesus was claiming. They got it loud and clear. And this is important for us to grasp as well because there are many people who do not believe that Jesus is God. We often call people who affirm Jesus uh, his humanity but not his divinity, we call them Arians. The old heresy known as Arianism, named after a man called Arius, uh, elder in the Alexandrian church in the 4th century, he argued with other Christians that Jesus was human, but not fully God. 
And this heresy has perpetuated throughout history down to today as well. It's not an old heresy that has been suppressed in the centuries and is no longer there. Yes, there are many people today who will affirm the humanity of Jesus, but not that he is I am, not that he is divine. A good example that we're very familiar with because they're so persistent in knocking on our doors is the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are modern-day Arians. They are people who affirm the humanity of Jesus but do not affirm his divinity. From the Watchtower, the official organisation of the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, from the Watchtower website we read, Unlike any other human... Jesus lived in heaven as a spirit person before he was born on earth. He was God's first creation, and he helped in the creation of all other things. He is the only one created directly by Jehovah and is thus called God's only begotten. They see that Jesus is very special, but he's still a created being. He's not, I am, always present, because he has always been. And so when they translate this passage, John chapter 8, verse 58, if you look up the Jehovah's Witness translation, the New World Translation, it doesn't say, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. It says, before Abraham was, I have been, which flies in complete contradiction with the Greek text. They make their own translation up at this point. Why? Because they know what Jesus is doing here. They know he's claiming, the watchtower officially, uh, the officials, they know what's going on here, that this text is a claim to divinity. And so they have to manipulate it and say, I have been. Because they do not, they do not want to affirm his divinity. And then, of course, there's many other people who will affirm nice things about Jesus his humanity, but not affirm his divinity. And other religions do this. Modern-day Judaism will affirm things about Jesus, but will they affirm his divinity? No, they will not affirm that he is the I Am. The Muslims, they also will say nice things about Jesus, but when it comes to his divinity, they will not affirm that he is God. In the Quran, it says, uh, this is Muhammad speaking, he says, people of the book do not go to excess in your religion and do not say anything about God except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was nothing more than a messenger of God. So believe in God and his messengers and do not speak of a trinity. Do not speak of a trinity. Jesus was nothing more than a messenger of God. He is not God himself. Come, to this world. And Hinduism, the Hindu Gandhi, what does he write about Jesus? He says, I've not been able to move beyond the belief that Jesus was one of the great teachers of mankind. Sounds like a nice thing to say. Jesus was one of the great teachers of mankind, but he can't move beyond that. He cannot affirm that Jesus is the great I am. Even atheists, they'll say nice things about Jesus. They may acknowledge that he lived as a man on this earth, but they will not affirm his divinity. The atheist Richard Dawkins, in his book, The God Delusion, he says that although he believes that Jesus probably existed, there is no good historical evidence that he ever thought he was divine. There is no good historical evidence that he ever thought he was divine. Not sure if he's read John 8, verse 58. 
They just dismissed this book as not good historical evidence. Happy to say that Jesus probably existed. Not happy to say that Jesus is the great I am. But to the Arians of this world who don't believe that Jesus is God, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I am. To the Jews, to the Jehovah's Witnesses, to the Muslims, to the Hindus, Jesus says, I am. To the atheists who say, you are not What does Jesus say? I tell you the truth, I am. God's enemies like to fling rocks at Jesus, but his words linger in the air, I am. So what about you this morning? How do you respond when Jesus says, I am? Do you say it's too perplexing, I don't know what he's talking about? Or do you say, yes, you are, and you always have been? Or are you one who throws rocks at him instead of worshipping him as you were designed to do? Maybe you seek to cover any sign of him from your life. Or maybe in small ways you pick up rocks and throw them at him. You try to cover up his divinity in different ways. Today is a rare exception where you've come into church. And you're here amongst us, and you're not flinging rocks as much as you normally would. But if you are someone who flings rocks at Jesus, and you deny his divinity, do you realise what you are doing, and how far you may go? Where will you end up if you fling rocks at Jesus? How much effort will you put into covering up Jesus Christ, covering up his divinity, covering up his message of salvation? interesting. I heard a news report about just last month in California that there's a pastor there, Greg Laurie, and he has an outreach festival every year. He's been doing it for many years. And he, puts up, he put up billboard ads, as I think he's done in occasions in the past, for these outreach services. So all around his, his, uh, his area, he put up these billboard notices of the outreach services that were coming up, and the ads were eventually removed by the advertiser. So he put them up, but they were taken down because religious imagery provoked multiple complaints and a serious threat. Multiple complaints and a serious threat about these advertisements for an outreach by this pastor. What was so explicitly offensive in these billboard advertisements? They pictured Greg Laurie holding a book and a microphone. I saw the picture of the advertisement. He's got a microphone and he's got a book in his hand. It's a black book, doesn't have a cross on it, doesn't have Holy Bible written on it, doesn't have anything that you would usually associate with Jesus Christ other than the fact that he's got a book in his hand and a microphone in the other. It could be Moby Dick in his hand, for all we know. But these people, they complained and a serious threat was made against the advertiser because they were picturing a man with a microphone and a book. How far do people go in throwing rocks at Jesus? They want to cover any sign of him. Even someone just holding up a book is offensive to them. And they will make serious threats against those who will hold up a book, a picture of someone holding a book. If you throw stones at Jesus, how far 
will you go? Will you try to suppress every sign of his divinity in this world, as these people in California obviously are trying to do? And then do you realise what you are doing? What it is you're doing when you try to throw things at Jesus Christ, the great I am. You're like a man standing on a beach, picking up handfuls of sand and throwing them at a cliff. Jesus was not injured by these people. What happened when they picked up stones to throw them at him? It says in verse 59, Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Yes, later on they did manage to crucify him, but that was only at his will that they did so. And it was for greater purposes, for the salvation of you and me if we trust in him. If you throw things at Jesus, if you try to suppress his divinity as the Aryans do today, as the JWs, the Muslims, Hindus, atheists, all you're doing is you're like that man. You're standing on the beach and you hate the cliff and you pick up sand and you throw it at the cliff. doesn't hurt the cliff. What are you doing? What are you actually doing? All you're doing is digging a grave. Every handful of sand you pick up from the beach and throw, you're just digging a grave for yourself. Is there anything more horrifying known to man than to be forced to dig your own grave? People have done this in history. They've made people dig their own grave. At gunpoint, they force them to dig a hole in the ground and the person who's digging knows that they're going to be buried in it. And it's a horrific thing to consider. But that's what people are doing when they throw rocks at Jesus Christ. They don't hurt him. All they're doing is digging a grave on that beach that goes down to hell. They're digging a grave for themselves in the eternity of hell. Is that what you're doing? Are you simply digging a grave for yourself when you suppress the truth about Jesus Christ? Because if you dig that grave, one day Jesus will leave you. At the moment you enjoy this wonderful world and there's many signs of Christ all around us. God's Power is displayed in the heavens. One day he will leave. It's interesting what Jesus does here. What does he leave? He leaves the temple grounds. The glory of God is there in the temple. And what happens when people try to suppress him? He leaves the temple. And that's what God will do to you. You're in a special place at the moment where you can hear about Jesus Christ. Are you going to deny the truth? Deny the truth that Jesus is I am. I encourage you, if that is you, if you do not believe that Jesus is divine, repent, fall down and cry with Thomas so many years ago, my Lord and my God. Don't dig yourself a hole in hell. It is not worth it. But thankfully I know that most in this room have chosen to worship Jesus Christ that most worship Jesus Christ as God. They do not have a struggle that Jesus is divine. And I love that, that Jesus' divinity is not an issue for many of us. But let us keep on believing in Christ's divinity and let it impact us more and more. 
I don't think we can ever exhaust the implications of the fact that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is the I am. And so I encourage you today, if you're someone who believes that Jesus is God, talk with other people today. On the way home in the car, I don't often think of that as an application of um, after the sermon because I don't drive home, but many of you do. Talk in the car on the way home. How does that impact my life that Jesus is I am? Or at lunch today, talk with someone about what it means that Jesus is I am. How does that change things for you? I'll give you one. If Jesus is the I am and you trust in him, you keep his word by trusting in him, what does that mean? That means that you're in an almighty fortress. That means that the sand flung by Christ's enemies cannot touch you, as little as it touches the Son of God himself. It does not touch you. No person, no sickness, no demon can touch you. Yes, they can touch your body, but ultimately they cannot touch your soul. You can be grieved by things that are going on with your body, but you don't have to be, or you don't have to be as grieved as much. If you are in the I am, if you are standing on that cliff with Jesus, then you have nothing to fear. Our soul will never see eternal death because we have kept Christ's word. And if you know that, all other fears fly. If you know that death has no mastery over you any longer because Jesus is I am, then you've got nothing to worry about in this world. We can all joyfully sing that great hymn by Bancroft, which we'll sing in a moment, with other immortal Christians. What does it say in the third verse? Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Saviour and my God, with Christ my Saviour and my God. If Jesus is, I am, you are hidden on that cliff and nothing can touch you. I just read this week, I've finally got around to it, people have been recommending the book for years, Corrie Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. It's about a Christian in the Netherlands and she, during the time of the Second World War, she hid uh, Jews in her house and was eventually arrested for it and put in a concentration camp. And it was amazing to read that book. I said to Jill the night that I finished it, I said, I'm never complaining about anything ever again. What she went through was atrocious under the Nazis. And what did she remember through it all? The title gives it away, The Hiding Place. Christ, the I Am, was her hiding place. She was hidden in Christ. And so as much as the Nazis tried to oppress her and her sister, they still had reason to thank God. They could thank him even for the fleas in the camp. Her sister said, we need to thank God for everything. She said, I can't thank God for the fleas. They bite me all the time when I'm there in bed. And then she learned that the reason the guards stayed away 
from them while they held their worship services in their sleeping quarters was because of the fleas. The guards didn't want to get bitten by the fleas, so they just let them have their sing-song in the back of the tent and didn't oppress them for it. Hurry Ten Boom knew what it was to hide in the I.M. Do you know what it is to hide in the I.M.? When people fling rocks, when people fling sand at you, do you consider it just to be sand? Because you are hidden in the I am. There is nothing that can touch you because you will never see death. Never see death because you have kept his word. Let's speak with Jesus now. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we affirm this morning that you are the great I am. You are truly God. May everyone in this room believe it. And may no one here fling rocks at you, but worship you instead. And Lord, may we all in this room continue to grasp what it means that we are hidden in you and will never see death. Oh Lord, may the implications of the fact that we are immortal continue to play out in our lives. And Lord, we pray in particular that we would not flinch when the world and the evil one throws rocks at us. We pray that we would consider it simply to be bothersome sand because we know that our lives are hid with I am. And we pray this in your name. Amen.